listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, today we are going to talk about IC again, and I assume that means ice cold coronas, right? No, no, no. Okay, that means intellectual capital. So last time we talked, we actually did a really good job of sort of making, or I think you did a really good job of making the case for intellectual capital and sort of it being the critical lever to brand relevance. And then brand relevance being sort of the maybe the most important objective of marketing in a professional services firm. So today I want to just go deeper into this intellectual capital framework that we've talked about. And what I really want to do is just kind of dial in on strategy setting. So when you're you know, developing an intellectual capital strategy, just what does that mean? What does good look like? But before we go there, what I'd like you to do is help us just think about like, how does intellectual capital as a strategy, strategy for IC, how does it fit into other forms of strategy? Like what, you know what I mean? Like there's the word strategy has become so watered down, but there's, you know, so many different ways you can think about strategy. So how does it fit into the universe of business strategy, brand strategy, marketing strategy, thought leadership strategy? You know, what's the difference here? Help us kind of make sense of that. Well, you start off with, again, what's the meaning of life? <laughs> well, back open your Corona and go, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me start by saying I, I agree with you. Strategy is a is definitely a watered down word, and everybody wants to be strategic, right? But strategy for me is simply, you know, the process of making hard choices so that you can allocate limited resources to accomplish some outcome, and it's hard. Because there's opportunity costs associated with those choices. And in professional services, because of the political environment, making those choices is even harder. But you really can't be effective in professional services or any else, anywhere else for that matter if you're not making choices to do A and not B. So at, a, at, at its highest level, that's strategy for me. And whether that's a business strategy or marketing strategy or sales strategy, or as we're talking about today, intellectual capital, you got to make some choices so that you can allocate resources. And what I was going to ask, is intellectual capital tied at the hip with a firm's business strategy then? Is it just, is it just that simple that directionally the firm is going here? These are the markets where we want to be relevant. These are the buyers with which we want to be relevant. Hence, these are the issues we want to own and intellectual capital needs to solve for those needs. Is that essentially what we're talking about or am I mislabeling it here? Once again, the astute Jason Malecki nails it. I, I think intellectual capital is at the heart of a firm and these strategies are not linear. They're all interrelated and the intellectual capital strategy should be informing, influencing, I would even say driving to some degree, the business strategy. But then the business strategy, you know, focuses the, the intellectual capital strategy. Because if we take a step back and answer the question, what is intellectual capital? To me, intellectual capital is simply the intangible assets, the revenue generating and differentiating 
attributes, processes, and thinking of a firm. And so much of that is, is driven by the people in the firm, the processes of recruiting and training and developing the people that we talked about in our last podcast around that performance envelope. But essentially, intellectual capital is the commercialization of those assets to produce revenue. I don't think most professional services firms think of intellectual capital in that way. Most professional services firms think our intellectual capital is thought leadership. So you're saying, what's our thought leadership strategy? And I think sometimes those words can be used interchangeably, but carefully, because thought leadership anymore seems to be more tied to content. And content is about lead generation or and maybe demand generation, but lead generation, getting eyeballs, getting interactions, those, those types of things. And that's only one dimension of intellectual capital in my mind. And it's why most firms underperform is they think about intellectual capital simply as thought leadership and white papers to do promotion. And I have a much broader definition of what intellectual capital is. And and the thought leadership and content marketing is just very limiting. And we've talked about this on other podcasts, that it's not really what's going to differentiate you and give you competitive advantage if you're just out there, you know, sharing a latest partner's thoughts. It seems to me intellectual capital sits at the heart of how a firm solves for a client's business problem in a better way than their current solution. So either a more efficient way, a more effective way, a less costly way. And intellectual capital is all about that. It's all about the core fundamental business problems you're solving for and designing a better mousetrap, designing a better solution to those problems. And so it would seem to me that the intellectual capital agenda needs to account for not only what are those main issues that we're solving for as a company, you know, firm-wide, we are solving for these macro client issues that we can take stake ownership on over the course of five or 10 years, because those are problems that are evergreen, that aren't going to go away. And they're problems that are evolving and changing, and they, and they require solutions that evolve and change and improve over time. So it seems to me it has to be a function of the problems we're solving for and the process by which we will use to develop those solutions. And that process should yield both thought leadership content, new solution offerings, maybe new delivery models. I mean, maybe all three of those are extensions of the intellectual capital strategy. So that's kind of how I think about it. Is that pretty close to what you're thinking or am I missing something? No, I think that's an excellent way to articulate it. You said the problems we solve, which is is one way of looking at it. I think it's a really good way of looking at it. I might just tweak it a little and say, what's the value we create and the value that we create for whom? So my mantra is, you know, and we talked about this last week, is 
we need to be speaking to people that value the value that we provide. So if, if a firm has a certain, uh, let, let's call it core capabilities, right? That intangible human capital, that thinking, the processes that enable it to create value. And every firm is different in this because to a large degree, their histories and their culture are different. And this to me is kind of the magic sauce of really differentiated brands. And we talked about that last week, how I show up, that simpatico, and how I connect with that person. Well, a firm is going to, should, should build its positioning and value proposition around that and around its ideal client. So intellectual capital to me has two dimensions, demand creation and supply creation. Traditionally, most firms think of demand creation, right? Building market awareness, big B brand, as we talked about. But the supply creation is every bit as important. And that's that performance envelope of how are we going to create an ever-changing, ever-expanding kind of stair-step brand relevance and value to our ideal client. Because the ideal client's going to change, the core capabilities are going to evolve, and the intellectual capital agenda needs to be leading and driving that. So the supply side is around, you know, understanding the market and business intelligence. And normally, normally I think that sits outside of marketing and the quote unquote intellectual capital or thought leadership agenda. It's seen as something different, but it very much should be a part of this. The solution development really should be the result of that business intelligence and the client experience and an understanding of the the buyer's journey and where there's friction in getting to the value that the client wants. And then that really, I think, leads to what you just said all the way to service delivery. So the intellectual capital agenda needs to drive, not from just big B and have some magic happen at the point of client service delivery, but it needs to be a seamlessly connected and driven all the way down till the the value is delivered. So on the demand side, you know, it's it's just as important to take it all the way down to how does sales use this intellectual capital to actually close business. And I think you have some great thinking about that out of your profiting from thought leadership and what the best firms do around that. But firms can't just think of demand gen and and media relation hits and let's put a white paper out there. It has to all be linked seamlessly to the point where the value is ultimately delivered. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, we've talked about some of these disconnects and I think I shared this story once about a RIT firm and having I was having a conversation with our client lead about the fact that another IT firm had come in and had sort of identified some cybersecurity, potential cybersecurity threats. And I asked our client lead, how come we've never had a conversation about cybersecurity in all the years we've worked together, managed services provider? Simultaneously, you've got the CEO of the firm publishing, you know, a lot of content around a lot of thinking on LinkedIn around cybersecurity. So there's just this kind of this massive disconnect between sort of the marketplace conversations the CEO of the firm is having and then the, the client service delivery conversations that the client service team was having. 
And it's sort of like that perfect example of disconnect between demand creation and supply creation, right? There's no, there's nothing on the backside to kind of close the deal or deliver the service unless it was prompted by the client. So it was, to me, it was like an example of just that gap between you know, using thought leadership to advance the conversations your client-facing personnel have every day or your, your business development people have every day. But I actually think it's really interesting. You, know, you use the phrase demand and supply um, and how you talked a lot in that kind of sequence about supply being about market intelligence and being about, I think, processes and people, right? It comes down to, do you have processes in place that would enable people to come into the organization and deliver against the promise that intellectual capital made in the first place on the demand side, right? So I guess at the end of the day, let me ask this. What is, what is a good intellectual capital strategy look like? Like what goes into it? What are the parts? The parts are relatively straightforward where firms go astray is what's the outcome or the result we're looking to deliver for that. So to me, it's in, and this is, this is very Drucker-ish you know, who said an organization only has two functions, right? Innovation and marketing. And the purpose of marketing is to understand the customer so well that the product sells itself. So intellectual capital, to me, its purpose is to understand the customer in our case, clients so well that we can develop the solutions that essentially sell themselves. And that's that's hyperbole, but that's what we're trying to do. So the components of intellectual capital are really about the tools that more deeply understand your market opportunities, right? And, and in the short term, that those tools are always looking at your ideal client and the ideal client is, you know, the client that values the value that you provide. They share the same world view as you. They're looking for the same results that you can deliver and they're willing to pay for that expertise to, to get it done. And we've talked about the ideal client, but that gets back to how we started this conversation. You have to focus somewhere. Right. So the focus begins on a deeper understanding of your ideal client. So that's number one. Number two is understanding your core capabilities and what, how they contribute to the value that that ideal client understands. And this is the tension that we talked about last week around the performance envelope. And you say this all the time that professional services people fall in love with their solutions, right? Solution, solution, <laughs> solution, solution, right? Hammer looking for a nail. You have to break that mode and the intellectual capital agenda should break that mode and focus on the different types of value. And to keep it simple for me and my clients, I think of value in just three buckets, you know, growth, efficiency, or, you know, financial strength and performance. And that's what clients are buying from professional services. Now, there's subsets of those, but your intellectual capital should be exploring those areas and looking for the white space to add value 
around issues that your clients may not know they have and that provide the amount of growth your firm needs to, going back to our earlier conversation, achieve the business strategy goals. And as we said, marketing's job is to take that intellectual capital and build the relevance of the firm in order to have permission to play and deliver the value in those markets. So the components, you know, I I, I would look at, and, and Bob Day, I, I think, has done some great thinking around this. It's business intelligence, right? What's the competitive landscape? What new technologies are out there? What kind of economic conditions and things are impacting, you know, your, you know, pick your strategy model, right? But to get a deeper understanding of the markets, be thinking constantly about how to better deliver solutions and be easy to do business with. So solutions need to be evolving. And then because professional services firms, I mean, we've gotten to a point in maturity in this industry. David Ryan says this a lot, that what it takes to differentiate firms has gotten so narrow that we're operating at the edge of these one-on-one interactions. So a very intense focus on what does service delivery look like. So I I think those are the components of the supply side. And then on the demand side, how do you take these ideas and make them understandable all the way down to the salespeople? And that that doesn't get done. I've, I've had so many conversations this year of marketers and salespeople saying that this is just, I mean, that sounds great but it doesn't help me when I'm in with a client trying to sell. So I think the intellectual capital components need, how do you make enable sales with this? Boy, we're going to have to go back and edit this podcast because I've just been rambling, buddy. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Let's close on this. So we have, you know, we have a couple minutes left and I guess let's just take the inverse of this for listeners. So what does a bad intellectual capital strategy look like? Sometimes it's hard to kind of wrap your head around what good looks like, but it's usually easy to wrap your head around what bad looks like. It's kind of like that old saying used to drive every agency crazy when the client says, well, I'm not sure what I'm looking for, but I know what I'm not looking for. And they give you this list of five things they don't like. So let's get at that. What does a bad intellectual capital strategy look like? Other than an ice cold Corona, it looks like that. That's really bad, right? <laughs> so, well, what do you think it looks like? You've worked with a lot of firms. Um, too broad would be one issue that if there's not clarity in the ideal client. In fact, one of the pushbacks I've gotten with firms through the years when you bring up the notion of an ideal client is they'll say, well, we have too many, we have multiple clients, multiple ideal clients. So well, really, do you really, or do you really just have you know, one ideal client and seven not so quite as ideal clients, right? So again, your kind of comment of lack of focus. So I think sometimes it's just too broad 
The other piece I would say is it's usually, they don't tackle the demand and supply side. Like you said, frequently they're, they're focused on the issues that they want to convene thought leadership around, but no one's talking about how that stuff is going to be used to actually deliver service better. Or if there's research underlying it, there's all this research happening, but no one's looking at how to use the research to improve the way they work clients at all. The research is just being used to draw out research-based content. So there's a sort of big missed opportunity there. So they're you know, only looking at half the equation, as you said, demand only, not supply. As a result of that, Jason, when they do research, the structure of the research is not as strong as it could be. Yeah. Because the research, the questions, the focus, even the approaches and sources of that information differ by what you're trying to produce. It's not like you say, let's go ask these questions and hope some answer cascades out of them. You have to have some hypothesis and go out and test it. And the research needs to have those goals and objectives in common. But most research is like, hey, let's take this data set. Let's see what the trends are. Or we can just put out some simple facts and figures. You know, firms are doing X this way. Other firms are doing why that way, you know, it's, it's not very thought provoking. It's just reporting. A simple way to look at this is, you know, this is how we've approached our research at Profiting from Thought Leadership through the years and is that it's the separation between the, the what and the how. Most marketing driven research, content driven research focuses on the what. What are you doing? What activities, what tasks not the how, the how being, well, how are you solving for that problem? How are you organizing around solving for that problem? So I'll just give a real simple example. Bob and I are in the midst of trying to stand up a research study around data visualization. It's a funded research study for sort of large producers of thought leadership that are interested in understanding how to visualize data better. And it's pretty easy to fashion a research study that looks at the what around data visualization. But what does good look like? What do the best organizations at data visualization, what are some examples of great data visualization? That's not that hard. It's even fairly easy to describe how good data visualization is done, but understanding how an organization builds capabilities around data visualization and makes data visualization a competency across an editorial function is hard. And that's sort of where the research needs to go for it to be of value, right? Because it has to answer those how questions that most marketing research doesn't answer. It only answers the what questions. You know, to your point, I think bad IC strategy kind of doesn't get over that line. It just focuses on, well, what's happening? It's kind of ends up being a survey of the of the market landscape. And now you know, mm -hmm. now you know there's there's more private equity deals done in the fourth quarter of 2020 than there were in the second quarter of 2020. Really shocking, right? Like that's yeah. not really whole, hard to figure out. How are deals getting done in a pandemic? And that's a different story. That's interesting to know, right? So mm -hmm. it's sort of that separation point, I think, that makes a big difference. And so other elements, I think, I guess I would, throw, I would throw a third element in there of what makes for bad IC strategy is when it stops at marketing. And I, I'll be the first to admit that I've made this mistake time and again, which is that 
you're focused so much on the thought leadership and the content and then the delivery of that content in the marketplace to create demand that you don't actually take it one step further to cut across the three elements of the organization, as you always talk, that kind of marketing, sales, and client service delivery, that it's all one unified experience for the client, which is mm -hmm. ultimately the IC strategy needs to go all the way across that. And ultimately, which is why we're talking about this right now, because I think that's the magic of the issues to solutions framework that you, Jeff, use in that it doesn't stop short at marketing. It extends through sales and through client service delivery. And on that note, I am going to wrap us because that is our topic for next time, which is, you know, we've kicked the tires on intellectual capital, why it matters. We've beat up what good strategy looks like and really what bad strategy looks like. But next time, I really want to get inside your head in terms of how do we develop one? What does the process look like? And again, this is the hard part, right? How do you do this? It's one thing to say, this is what it good looks like and what bad looks like. It's another thing to say, here's how you actually get at good. So I want you to walk us through kind of your process for that, because I think it's really compelling. Very good. That should be fun. A third episode on the meaning of life. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you next week. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.